Welcome to the FishCast. We have a great show today. On this weekend roundup, we are going to discuss spring football for the University of Miami Hurricanes, the University of Florida Gators, and the FSU Seminoles. We will also discuss the quarterback battle for all three programs. Also on the docket, our panel will discuss high school recruiting commitments for the big three. What is next for Kansas football after Les Miles was fired? We also have a discussion about where Nebraska should go after almost backing out of a rivalry game against Oklahoma. In our final segment, we will tell you our predictions on who will win the NCAA tournament that starts this week. Welcome to this week's edition of the FishCast. My name is Corey Long. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by the director of recruiting, scouting, talent, at Elite Scouting Services, Charles Fishbean. How you doing, Charles? Doing good. Just got back from my son's baseball game, and uh, their team won, and the coach made the kids run two laps around the field. So we're afraid to know what's going to happen when they lose. They're 4-0, and the coaches – they got Coach Demo running the team. Running they should have been run three laps. <laughs> like I said. If my team wins eight to two and a bunch of coaches want some 10 year olds to run laps, my kid's coming off the field. <laughs> no, we got time for your crap, coach. I'm sorry. Like these coaches, these, these little league coaches think like the Miami Marlins are out scouting them <laughs> for future jobs in the organization. Oh, like man. cheaters at the game. Oh, Somebody man. to lead up his double A ball. Anyway, oh. also, <laughs> we also have. Coach, uh, Coach Chris Demaris, former linebackers and defensive backs coach out of Hawaii, NC State, Florida State, Rutgers, Lehigh, several other places, all kinds of places. If it's a school on earth, Coach Demaris has been there. <laughs> Guys, we're going to start. I'm going to start this week by going into a little bit of spring practice. Now you got. FSU's a weekend. Uh, Miami's starting up right now. I think uh, Florida's also a weekend. Um, what do we? What do, what do we think of spring practice so far with these guys? Now you know. Now you you know a couple of schools have had the chance to kind of you know they've gotten their little shell practices out. Now now what are you looking for as you get into the meat of spring practice? Well, you know Florida's. You know it's the quarterback battle is going to be the big key for them. And we're going to talk about that as well, but um, they've had, you know, Emory Jones has had up and down um, issues as far as performance and consistency in spring. And, you know, that's the main thing is uh, what they have moving forward. They lose uh, Kyle Trask to the NFL draft and now they got to start over, but we've discussed it so many times. Coach Mullen is a great quarterback coach and, uh, developer of that position. So I don't really think there'll be that many issues. Um, they've had some success at the tight end position. Again, uh, Nick Elksness has had a very good start to his spring and he's only a freshman. Uh, they also have some other really talented tight ends, but this is a Gator team that came off a pretty good solid season and they have some things that they have to figure out, but uh, I, I think they're going to still be good in 2021. I think everything starts and stops with the quarterback. You know, you look at the NFL and the Super Bowl, and they both have quarterbacks. You look at the college football playoffs, 
and who makes it in there. They all have quarterbacks. So if you have a quarterback on your team, that's your general, and it can lead the team, then you got a chance to go very far. Speaking of quarterbacks, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, Florida and Florida State are both going into the spring with uncertainty at the quarterback position. At Florida State, it's a – how do we say this? It's a two-man race with four participants in it is the best way to put it. Um, it looks like – I mean, I think most people want to hand McKenzie Milton the job. But, Fish, you sent me a text late last week, and, you know, it was uh, – it, it was, you know, you made the mention that, you know, Jordan Travis just isn't going to sit by idly and watch somebody take his job. This kid's a competitor. He's a tough kid. He's going out there and he's fought for this program. He uh, basically took the starting job when nobody, on, on this last team when nobody else wanted it. And you think he's got a real good shot at starting, starting the season against Notre Dame. Why is that? I just think one, like you said, he won three games. He, you know, everybody talks about knowing the system. I think the players on that team respect him as a player. And he, listen, this is a guy that could have easily walked away from FSU this year, knowing that they went out, they got McKenzie Milton. They're basically saying, hey, listen, it's his job to lose. And this kid in this day and age could have gone in there and said, you know what? I thought I deserved the job or at least a shot at the job. You know what? I'm out of here. Good luck. And no, nah, he's, he's going to fight through it. Uh, he's already looked pretty good, and I know that they've only had one or two practices. He's already looked uh, pretty good early on. And, you know, McKenzie has struggled uh, in the first two or three practices, and I think a lot of it's mental. He's coming back from a major injury, and a lot of that's psychological when you have injuries like that to the knee. Like, he's he's got a big, bulky knee brace on. I think that uh, just to get comfortable passing, throwing, running – uh, doing the things that he needs to do, it's going to take a while. And it would not shock me to see Jordan Travis roll out against Notre Dame. Now, I'm not saying McKenzie Milton won't become the quarterback, but it would not shock me to see Jordan Travis open the season against Notre Dame at home because they, it, it's just a more comfortable situation for him. You know, I'm a little familiar with the Milton kid uh, being from Hawaii, uh, coaching over there, and obviously he went to UCF. Um, and then obviously the, uh, Travis kid did a great job. Like you said, fish, you know, at least pulling some games out for Florida state in the, in the desperation. So the thing I'm wondering is, will they rotate quarterbacks? Will they give them both an opportunity to play in the game? Cause you know, I, I think might be their best chance to win. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. I, um, I have the one thing that, you know, kind of interests me about, this is that, you know, Milton, Milton, when the Notre Dame game starts on Labor Day, it's going to be, you know, 20, over what, 33 months since Milton's seen live bullets, you know, live games. It's a long time. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if he, like, like you said, Fish, you know, is he going to be ready for that right away? I mean, is it going to be a situation where they're going to use both guys a little bit more than people think they are, at least early on in the season. Mm -hmm. You got to think that Brian Kelly is going to, he's going to test Milton in that opening game. It's not like they're going to start off against Sanford or one, a one double a program and kind of ease him in. They're coming right out of the gate and playing a very good football team. 
Yeah, Notre Dame lost their quarterback, but they got a quarterback coming in that I, I really like coming out of high school. That Their backfield's going to be one of the best in the country. They've got probably the number one tight end in the country next year. You know they're going to always have good offensive lines and D lines. This is not an easy game out of the gate. And Jordan played against Notre Dame last year. He got to feel what that team's like, what the speed's like, what those athletes are like on that side of the ball. And here you have another quarterback in Milton. And listen, I think Milton was the biggest get for them in the offseason. But he is coming off a major injury. And you're asking a lot of a kid that hasn't played in, like you said, almost two or three years. Uh, and he's coming back from a major injury. So I think they're going to eat. Now, I do think by game two or three, maybe game three, Milton will be the you know ultimate starter because they've worked him in. He'll have a lot of ex- he'll have a lot more experience at that point. But I don't know if you could just throw him to the dogs game one and say, "Hey, have at it." Um, also, moving on to Florida has a has an even less determined quarterback situation. Uh, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson would be the two participants that will be battling. I think battling for the QB one job. Um, obviously, you know, Carlos uh, Del Rio Wilson is on campus, but I, I'm assuming that he's going to end up um, redshirting this year and, and getting some time to develop. I, I like Richardson. I, I like what I saw of him in the bowl game. Um, I, I'm, I've always been a little iffy on Emory Jones, not so much as an athlete. I think he's a good athlete. I don't really trust his ability to throw the football. Um, and I, I don't know that they can, I don't know that they can give him the full passing tree. How do you see this one playing out? Well, Richardson, we've talked about this is the better dual. You know, he does both things very well. He can run and throw where Emory's strength is pretty much just as a runner and he could throw as a secondary option, but I think you could utilize, it's another situation. They may come out of the gate, kind of use both guys, and then Mullen will see who gets the hot hand and let it roll the rest of the year. But you saw it a couple of years ago. He started the season with Felipe Franks and Trask ended up getting the job. And, you know, I think that could very much happen with, you know, Richardson. Richardson's a very talented quarterback, big, strong kid. You're talking about a guy that's 6'4", probably 225 pounds. And he's got a very strong arm, and you've talked about this before. He has the ability to stretch the field, and Mullen likes to go for the big plays, and he gives him a greater shot at doing so. Felipe got, got injured. I mean, they—they—they. They, 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 I'm not going to say they lucked into Kyle Trask, but they—they they stumbled into Kyle Trask because Felipe got hurt in that Kentucky game. I mean, I don't. I mean, it wasn't. You know, one thing about Mullen is he tends to. He tends to give his quarterbacks a lot of rope, a lot of string. I mean, if he's gonna if he's gonna start you, he's gonna play you for a good period of time. Here's the thing: you always worry about in spring practice, you know, and can you get a great evaluation on the quarterback? Because a lot of times they're not live. A lot of other positions go live in spring practice. You can really get a great evaluation of a player at a different position, but the quarterbacks usually goes in those green jerseys and they're hands off. So if you do have a mobile quarterback, somebody can make things happen with their feet. It's hard to get a great evaluation on him because the whistle gets blown early or, or they're, they're, they can't be touched. So a lot of guys look really good. It's almost like a seven on seven for those guys. They're not worried about getting hit. They're not under the, under the gun. So do you really get a great evaluation? If you have a, a true quarterback battle, 
which it looks like Florida State and University of Florida are going to have in the spring, uh, are you running that risk of getting one injured, but also you're running a risk of not getting a great evaluation by not letting them be live? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I, that's why, again, I was a little uncertain about the idea that Mullen wasn't going to bring in a little, a little, little bit more of a veteran. I'm, I mean, I'm honestly surprised that they didn't battle hard for McKenzie Milton, you know, because, you know, he certainly fits what Mullen likes to do. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to let this one play out. And obviously Jones has been here long enough to earn the opportunity to compete for the job. He's been a good soldier, but um, this one, this one is really curious to me. Yeah. My final take on it. I just think Mullen believes in his ability to develop quarterbacks um, he's got two guys that have been on campus for now at least a year. Uh, I think Emory Jones is now going into his third year where Richardson's going in his second year. And they have enough, he, he has enough weapons around them uh, to take the pressure off them early. And by later in the season, they will have had, you know, five or six games under the belt. I, I just think he believes in his ability enough to develop these guys. If he didn't believe in them, he would have gone out and got a grad transfer. But I think over the past year, he's seen enough of them to go, you know what? I could win a lot of ball games with these guys. These are the guys I'm going to roll with. You always hear him say, we need a quarterback. We need a quarterback. All these college teams, we need a quarterback. And it's very true because you can see what it did for the University of Miami with the King kid coming in there last year, how he completely changed the whole trajectory of the program just by coming in as a quarterback and, and, and getting things done for them. So I know we're going to talk about that soon at UM, but I mean, quarterback is a very, very key position for any success you're going to have as a football team. No doubt about that. All three of the, well, the big three in Florida, I guess we call them, they all got some commitments this week. Um, Florida State got a commitment from a playmaker named Devon Mortimer out of Dillard High School, someone that Ooh. Fish is uh, very, very familiar with. Oh, he a player. Tremendous week of recruiting at Florida. They get Tony Livingston, a big old tackle out of Carrollwood Day, out of my in my area out here in, out, out in Tampa. They also get a big, long, impressive athlete named C.J. Hawkins and went to, goes to Berkeley Prep in Tampa. And they go to Texas, get a quarterback, Nick Everest, who I'm also pretty high on. Miami, they get Cody Brown, another running back, he was committed to Tennessee, and he was released from his letter of intent after Pruitt got after Jeremy Pruitt got fired. He's made the move over to Miami. I don't know what his eligibility situation is going to be this year, but he's on the roster. So right now, I mean, I'm not sure how many of these players you had a chance to look at, Coach, but tell oh, me your thoughts. I tell you, I watched all of them. And, and when you watch a skilled player, you always get chills because you're like, wow, is that kid special? But I watched the kid out of Dillard. And, man, the Florida State got a great one. I mean, number one, he's a, he's a special teams guy. He's a returner. And usually you can tell the speed of a guy when the defenders that he's playing has the angle on him and he outruns the angle guys. That's when you're like, wow, this kid's a player. And that kid did that on his returns, mostly punt returns. But then you talk the offensive side of the ball when he's in the slot. You know, he, he, he's a finisher. He's a gamer. He's one of those guys that Florida State has been missing. Uh, he can make people miss in space. Uh, 
um, you know, they run that little bubble screen, bubble to him, and all of a sudden, man, he makes guys miss, and off he goes. They leave him uncovered in the slot, down the field, he catches the ball, and he's a finisher. The one thing I wanted to see him do is take a hit with a catch, and he's done that. There was a couple plays where he was down the middle, they threw him the ball, he caught it in, uh, when he was getting a hit, so that was important to me. But, man, he's, a, he's an electrifying player. He's a South Florida kid, and I think he's going to pay big dividends for Florida State in the future. You know, Corey, the one thing is, and we've learned there's there's some schools in South Florida that you can recruit and they have a high hit ratio. Some have a lot of kids and they don't have a high hit ratio and, and schools keep going back there. Dillard's one of those schools. I don't know what it is, the history since I've been in this all the way back to Chris Gamble and some of the other guys that have come through there. I mean, Auburn used to just destroy Dillard High School recruiting. I mean, they've Pat Sims, um, like I said, the, the Gamble kid, uh, you know, I think Leonard Myers, who played DB at Miami, was from Dillard. Florida State hasn't recruited a lot of kids out of that school. For whatever reason, they haven't had a ton of success. It kind of was like that Miami Central before Eddie Grant got to Florida State and he was able to pull some of those Central kids. So it's a good thing to go into Dillard. They've already got two commitments from that school. And I'm telling you right now, I if you go look at what they have coming in behind these kids, they have one of the best fresh eighth grade classes coming in. It's ridiculous of O-line and D-line. And it's not a bad thing to get these kids committed because if there's a school to have a pipeline to that these kids have produced in college. And for some reason, Dillard kids seem to transition well to college. It's not a bad school for Florida State to get their claws into. And we've already talked about it. The Kelly kids probably a top 15, maybe top 20 five-star kid, the DN, which he's he's blown up at camps even this year. And Mortimer, you know, you know, coach talked about it. He's going to be one of the fastest players in the state of Florida this year. And Florida State lacks playmakers. My only concern with him, you know, is they've already taken, we've talked about this, is how many kids sub 5'10 do you want on your roster? Now, if they take him, can they still take the Glover kid out of Lake Gibson? Do they, you know, they already, they took two kids that are 5'9 last year in their class. You don't want too many of these guys in your class. And it's, it's not a knock on him, but it, you, how many 5'10 sub 5'10 guys can you have? And that's my only concern. He could play and he's at a great school. And if it's going to keep Kelly in the fold, you got to buy the cow to get the milk. And even, even some of Dillard's not great teams still had players that when you saw him get off the bus, you're like, man, who is, where is this guy going to school at? Corey, I mean, John Ford's going to start for Miami next year. He's from Dillard. The deep yep. line that he was on had six for over a, t- a two year period. They had six division one D linemen on their roster. One plays at Syracuse. Miami's got one. I, and I mean, Dima will tell you, and you were at that camp, I think it was at Edison High School, is Charles D showed up. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's the one kid that didn't pan out, but D's should have been an NFL top five pick. And I mean, he was a massive human being. And he's just one of those other Diller kids. They've had so many of them. I mean, it's honestly, Dillard should be 
a Miami Northwestern or Miami Central yes. where they're playing for a state title every four or five years, or at least every two or three. I, honestly, it's a program, but they've been poached. Every time they get good players, their best players are poached by other local schools. Rick, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story before we move on, Corey. Uh, I was at NC State, and we were playing in a bowl game down in Miami, and we're practicing at Dillard High School. And we're practicing at Dillard High School, and all of a sudden, here come the ATVs and the motorcycles. Boom, 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 boom. They're flying all around the field. The kids stop practice. They're looking like, what's going on? I said, Dillard High School, baby. You know? But that, that was a great that was a great time down there. Sorry, you just made me laugh my butt off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It flew over you. <laughs> you Oh, Diva. But he, Dillard High School's great, man. Let's, let's get on to the next subject, man. Yeah, you had a – Coach, you had a chance to look at all three of – you had a chance to look at the, the Florida commits this week. You were you – were, you, seem, you seem to really like Tony Livingston, the offensive tackle they got at Carrollwood Day School in Tampa. I really did, you know. And, you know, I watched him. It's, it's ironic because a lot of great tackles and stuff start out as tight ends in high school and they grow in offensive tackles. But this kid really impressed me as a tight end. He caught the ball. People were bouncing off him after he caught it. He's, he's making positive yards after the catch. Uh, he reminded me of Gronk almost, you know. And with the Pitts kid graduating and the other kid we talked about last week uh, leaving Florida, who knows, maybe he initially starts out as a tight end and then moves himself to a different position. This is, I, this is greed at this point. I mean, they're like just stacking their tight end board. Uh, the tight end position has evolved so much. I mean, to where you can little, I mean, you know, you can, you, you see more teams, you know, they're going into 12 personnel. They can go into, almost going to 13 personnel because you can line these tight ups, tight ends outside. You can line them in the slot. You can line them in line. And, you know, you go back, we can go back to the Ron Zook days when he had, when he had Ben Troop, you know, when he had uh, Aaron Walker back there at tight end. They've had great tight ends for 20 years now. Like Steve Spurrier wasn't a big tight end guy, but the minute he left, those tight ends started rolling into the University of Florida. They so may yeah, want to forget like five of them. They may want to forget about it, but Aaron Hernandez played there. Who? Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> Who? Aaron Hernandez. Uh, uh, my, 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 I can't hear you. What are you saying? You say? Did you say you said Tony Fernandez? I love him. Great shortstop for the Indians. I love Tony Fernandez. Yes, big Tony Fernandez fan. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They've had a few. Yeah, they've had a few. They've had a few. Some are more infamous than others. We'll put it that way. Oh, man. Um, Coach, you also had a chance to check out Nick Evers, their, <laughs> their quarterback, the armor they're going to be taking in this class. You seem to be really high on him. I really like the kid, you know, and I, I haven't watched a ton of quarterback film of multiple kids, but I really like this kid. You know, the biggest thing I look at as a quarterback is, can he create if the design play breaks down, either by his feet or going to his number two and three option? And he can do that. Um, can he make the throws? He can make all the throws. And particularly the deep throw, which I know you guys say Mullen likes to throw, and this kid has thrown a lot of deep balls, and they were on the money. He's an accurate thrower. And, um, you know, I always look for four things in a quarterback. Leadership, which is hard for me to tell because I don't know the kid. But at these other ones, accuracy, touch, and arm strength 
you could tell off a film, and he's got that. But you can the program that he's with down there in Texas, you could tell that they put a lot of emphasis on running the offense and, 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 and the quarterback being the mainstay. And he has some weapons he could throw to. But I really like this kid, and I, I don't know how he fits into, you know, the Jones and the Richardson kid. Uh, does he red shirt? Does he actually get in the mix or whatever? But he's a long line, those guys that Mullins likes as a quarterback as well. I've watched a ton of high school kids this year as far as quarterbacks. It's a phenomenal year, and it's 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 really preference. But I, the one thing I look at, Demo, is guy's history. I think Dan Mullins one of the best evaluators and scouts of quarterbacks and talent at developing them. I think Jimbo Fisher's one of that. I thought Norm Chow was one of those guys. Yes. Jeff, Jeff Tedford. You look at Kendall and Art Bryles. But they're doing something. They're not just getting lucky. I don't believe that. I think that those guys see something in these quarterbacks that they could develop. And they're like, all right, now it's a little luck to get two first-rounders at a North Dakota State. But it's not by accident. Aaron Rodgers was a guy that got undervalued and under-recruited coming out of California. He went to Jeff Tedford. How Tedford's, you find all the guys that Tedford's put in the NFL. I just, there's some, there's, it's an over about like over scouted position. I think there's certain things that people don't value. Everybody looks and it's easy to see the big arm, but can that guy, when, when he's getting, I saw a guy this weekend, I watched his film and every pass, the guy's getting hit in the chest as he's releasing it. And every ball hits a receiver. And I'm like, that's the guy I want on my team, because if you give him any protection, he's going to be pretty good. And I just think guys see these guys at short in shorts. They don't see them in pressure cooker situations. And a lot of times these kids are evaluated by guys that have no idea what they're looking at. I went back and watched this kid two and three times. That's how much I was impressed by this kid. And again, I don't know anything about him personally. You know what he's like as far as a leader, et cetera. Can he take pressure? All that kind of stuff. It all starts with the O-line. Obviously, you have to have a little bit of protection. But you have to get rid of the ball quick. You have to process. As a quarterback, you have to process quickly. Quickly. That's what makes Tom Brady so great. He processes quickly, anticipates this, gets the ball where it's supposed to be. And when I was at NC State, I had the, uh, the fortunate uh, to be around Norm Chow for a long time and out in Hawaii as well. And when Philip Rivers was there and Philip had a very awkward release, Norm said, I'm not ever messing with this guy's release. I don't care how awkward it is. I'm just going to teach him the scheme, where the ball should go. And Philip had touch. He had accuracy, which was more than anything else. He could throw the deep ball and a deep out, et cetera. Uh, but arm strength really, to me, is, is important, but it's down the line for me. Accuracy and leadership are so, so important. Be able to process information quickly and get rid of the ball fast is really what determines the greatness of a quarterback. And like you said, Fish, it doesn't necessarily have to be a five-star kid. If Philip Rivers came out now, I still think that a lot of these gurus would watch his delivery and say, oh, he can't play at all. He's not a five-star. His arm, the way he delivers it, he has a bit of a hitch in his throwing motion. He he was different, and it worked. But the one thing that Philip could do is – is he got rid of the ball extremely quick. That ball did not stay in his hands long. And that's the thing is I watch a lot of these top-rated quarterbacks are filled, and so many of them have great arms, so they hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball, and wait for a guy to get open. And that opportunity is not going to be there for him in college. Those windows close, the time from snap A to them getting the ball and getting back to set up, 
everything changes. It ain't high school anymore. Where does Cody Brown fit in, in your opinion, Fish? Yeah, his film's not bad looking. I mean, he's a big – I've never seen the kid in person, but he looks like one of those SEC backs. I could see why, you know, Tennessee liked him. He doesn't have that home run speed I was talking about with this with Demo or elite level burst, but he can get to the edge. And the one thing you got to like is he initiates contact. This kid finds defenders and wants to run them over. You're not going to arm tackle him. So he gives you that big power back. I think he's a little different than the, some of the guys Miami has now, which are a little more finesse. Even um, the Franklin kid that comes in this year, the Thad Franklin kid from uh, Chaminade, even though he's a bigger back, he's more of a finesse, you know, he's more of that finesse guy. This kid is a pure bru bruiser. I mean, he's going to wear you out. He's going to wear your defenders out. And he's going to be a lot better on carry 20 than he's going to be on carry one. You don't want him on carry 20 because he, by then the defense is worn out and he takes the game to another level. See, what he does is he sees the hole and hits the hole with acceleration to get to that next level. He might not have the pure speed as some of these other backs do to finish it all the way to the end zone, although I see him make some big runs. But what he does is he hits the hole and accelerates and lowers his shoulder that gets to the next level where those next level defenders really don't want to take on a guy like him. As you said, Fish, he's very strong. He breaks tackles, especially arm tackles, you know, and he really has that as good as he is in the first quarter is as good as he is going to be in the fourth quarter. And I think that's what he brings to this party with all the running backs that Miami has. Um, yeah. And you can't go wrong with the running back from Georgia. You think he went to Parkview high school. I think, then Jamal Lewis, Jamal Lewis might have went to Douglas High School, but I, this same general area. You can't go wrong with those Georgia running backs. I tell you that much, though. <laughs> Jamal Lewis played at Tennessee, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think he played against us when I was at Florida State. We played him in the uh, Fiesta Bowl that one year, '98. He's yeah, a good right. back. Even that, that's why this kid does remind me of a, a running back from Tennessee. Believe it, believe it or not. What's crazy is when Jamal Lewis came out of high school, there was a kid rated higher than him, Patrick Pass. I think his name was. He went to Georgia. Jamal Lewis played in the Florida-Georgia game, and he's the first guy I've ever seen take, like, dive plays 60 yards for touchdowns and running over everybody. I'm like, this kid's going to be pretty good. And he got to Tennessee, and he was pretty darn good. So, Yes, he was. Yes, he was. The one thing I'm going to disagree with a lot of people is that you can't win there anymore. And the two programs that prove this are Wisconsin and Iowa. Wisconsin basically is Nebraska of what they used to be. Big, corn-fed offensive linemen, great running backs. Nebraska has gone away from their identity. And whatever their identity used to be, power football, uh, big running backs, physical that can run. And, and they just haven't recruited those guys. I thought Scott Frost was a phenomenal hire at the time because, he, you know, he's one of the up-and-coming coaches. He did a great job at UCF. But you can't duplicate UCF to Nebraska. There's things that you could bring with you that will help you. But he should have understood that, listen, we've got to go get elite running backs. We don't have to go get – we could find receivers that could fit within the scheme. There's receivers everywhere. But they should be going to Georgia, should be going to Texas, going to California, finding themselves those guys that they found – 15, 20 years ago that won them a lot of games and get back to what they're great at, power football. 
and they could get athletes on defense. There's a lot of guys that will go there and play defense, put the black shirts on. It's just something's missing out of that program. And this idea that they can't win or win at the level that they won before, well, then why is Wisconsin winning? You know, Wisconsin doesn't have the history of Nebraska. Iowa is a good program, but they, they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't be where Nebraska is. Nebraska should be a great program. And there's no reason for them to be a three or four win team every year. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm just not sure what's not working there right now. I, I'm, I'm with you that I think the personnel that he's got just isn't where it needs to be. I don't think he's recruiting bad per se, but I don't think that he's been able to hit on the players that you need to hit on for a fan base to feel like we're moving forward. He hasn't hit on the quarterback yet. Like you said, he hadn't really hit on a running back yet. It's not like Nebraska's not lighting up the scoreboard. If they had defensive issues, those can be fixed. But offensive issues are what worried me. And that they're not good on offense. And I tell you, I would have, I would, you know, I'd have brought in a lot of film on what Coastal Carolina did on offense and try to figure out how to bring that sort of offense in them. Because what they do, they run a lot of old triple option out of a lot of new formations, but it's the same, you know, it's the same general concepts. I agree. Well, they, you know, they used to nationally recruit. I mean, they used to dip in New Jersey all the time. You know, Irving Fryer, Mike Rogier, Christian yeah. Peter, Jason Peter brothers, you know, they used to come in New Jersey. They, they go all over to recruit. And people used to go there and love to play there. And they used to dip into the junior colleges down then, like Kansas State used to do when Snyder was there. They used to dip in there and pull kids in from there. So, like you said, I think they're just searching for that identity. When I was at NC State, me and Manny Diaz, who, speaking of the University of Miami, went out to Nebraska to visit them. And they were still in the Nebraska of old. They had, like, three different units all over the place practicing. You had to go from one field to the other to check out all the units. It was just amazing. It was, you know, passed down from Coach Osborne. But they lost that mystique a little bit because they used to be very intimidating to go into Nebraska and play. Like I said, the fans are very educated. They understand the game of football. Um, but they have to get that mystique back. I agree. And it's going to be – this is interesting. And, I mean, this is a situation where the fans are – the fans in Nebraska have pride. And the idea that they were going to back out of a game against Oklahoma just did not sit well with that fan base. And that – I think that one that tells you a lot about that fan base. And I, I respect that fan base for saying that, Hey, we know Oklahoma is a, you know, great program and we're struggling, but we're not, but we're still Nebraska. And we're not going to, we're not going to let our administration, you know, dump out of that game so they can play, you know, some, some one double a cream puff and get an easy victory. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have that programs in a, in an interesting bit of transition. The, the next news item is, is an intriguing one. This, we can get, this is a fun little discussion that we can have. A uh, player out of New Jersey originally uh, named Alfonso Afano. Mm. Um, he was a five-star prospect maybe about three maybe about three years ago. Um, he ended he went up, to Alabama, right? Went to Alabama. Uh, didn't, you know, I think he went through the spring fine and had some issues. And, you know, Nick Saban was trying to work with him. Eventually, he decided to, uh, you know, with some issues with some family he decided to leave Alabama. Uh, the idea was to think he was going to transfer back to the Northeast. Instead, he transfers out to Colorado. Um, they, he never plays there. They go through a coaching change. 
And uh, even though, you know, he was on the roster all year, he doesn't play there. Now he's back in the transfer portal again. And who knows where he's going to end up. My question, really, and my, my, the item here, and what I want to talk about is sometimes a player is, you know, obviously this is a talented player out of high school. And I, I understand the idea of going to Alabama. Heck, if Nick Saban calls you, you definitely want to pick up that call. But not every player is cut out to leave their support system. And it feels like in this case, this young man just has not been able to adapt in areas that are outside of his support system. And maybe he would have been better off, excuse me, going to Rutgers, going to Penn State, going to Syracuse, going somewhere where he's a little closer to his family, somewhere where he can, where if things happen, his family's maybe only six hours away instead of a very difficult plane ride. Uh, so you're right in recruiting a kid. That's why it's important to find out all these other things that we're talking about. That's why these last two years have been tough on recruiters, hum, hamstrung them a little bit because of the fact that they're not being able to evaluate all the different things. You know, I compare it to a kid down here in Florida. There was a kid one year. His name was Trevante Valentine. Trevante was probably the number one D tackle in the state of Florida. Trevante was a mama's boy. And, you know, he had everything taken care of him from academics. Um, his academic situation was uh, handled a certain way, and he was able to get through uh, some tough roadblocks and, and, and get qualified. And Trevante was one of those kids that should have gone to the University of Miami because everybody that helped him get eligible, all those people that were support people that you're talking about, were there in Florida. When he left, those people didn't go with him. And that's the biggest thing is, and I tell recruits all the time, they're like, hey, bitch, where should I go? And I'm like, I'm not going with you for the next four years. It's a place that you better like and feel comfortable around those coaches and understand most of the time those coaches aren't going to be there with you either. So you better love that place. You better fit in and be able to find a place. And Trevante was very similar to this kid from New Jersey in that if he had gone to University of Miami and been closer to home, and I, I think it, he would have had a different result and he'd probably be in the NFL right now. It's just every situation individually is different. Like Demo said, some kids, you know, Antoine Easterling was one of those kids. He should have gone away. He should have gone to Rutgers. They should have taken him. And his whole trajectory of life may have changed just based on one decision. You know, one decision could have changed everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's ironic. Uh, I was talking with my good friend, Keith McLeod, and, you know, Keith and I used to run the Polk County Dream Team, our seven-on-seven -seven organization, and, and we had we had great players in there. You know, Derwin was part of it. Um, we had different guys, and we had two guys in particular that we talk about quite often. One uh, was a DB that um, went to Kentucky, and one was a DB that went to Michigan State. And, you know, neither one of them were able to, to do anything. And, uh, you know, some, some, some issues have come up since then. And every time I, I often think that, you know, I, you know, I wish we could have, you know, we, we, me and Keith talking like, man, I wish we could have maybe guided those kids to go to USF or guided them to go to UCF because they, you know, coming from a small town, coming from Lake Wales, coming from Frostproof, 
from Arbondale, I don't know that you're always ready for that total change in culture. It's not just weather. It's a total culture change. It's a different way of life. And, you know, you don't know anybody. You don't have any, there's no, but no teammates from high school and nobody you knew from the area. You know, if you're not playing, you're going to struggle because you got too much time on your hands, too much time on your hands to think about what you're missing and to think about the people that, you know, that, that aren't close to you. And it just, and those, you know, it just becomes, you know, it just, you know, you're far away and it just becomes such a, it becomes mentally taxing. It becomes depressing. So it, it's tough. And I, I feel for, you know, Alfonso Alfano because I don't, I don't know what he's going through. And, and I feel like, you know, whatever he's going through is just, he's just, he's made it tougher on himself over time. Well, he just had a lot of baggage coming out of high school and, the reality is, uh, yeah, it's just he's just going to be a statistic, probably. One of these kids that you talk about, hey, he had all the talent, like a Trevante. And I tell people all the time, like when you make a decision on a school, it's a, it's you're making a career choice because it's more than just football. You got to decide what happens at life after football because a lot of these kids, let's be honest, are never going to see the NFL. It's a very small percentage. So when you make that decision. It's a career decision. You know, it's what are you going to do after football? Who are you going to meet at that school? Who are the contacts you're going to gain? There's so much that comes about it. And you've got to make the right decision. And a lot of these kids, they're influenced from outsiders that, that care about themselves and not them, not the individual player. I mean, you've known me for 15 years, Corey. I've never told a kid where to go to school. I'll educate them on schools, yeah. I'll, you know? But if I'm not going with them, I can't tell a kid in good heart, hey, listen, this is where you need to go to school and try to push them to that school. That's just, it's sad. But, um, you know, it's a subject that could go on forever, but yeah. Yeah, it, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, Coach, you got anything to add? Yeah, just that when adversity hits, because adversity is going to hit, what is that young man made of? And that's where these last two years are going to be sorely missed by these recruiters to be able to evaluate because you're going to have one situation happen all the time, but you want, you want to prevent multiple ones from happening. And the way you do that is through this recruiting in person stuff that we've talked about that they're missing uh, to be able to find situations to say, you know what, this young man maybe be suited for some, for this situation instead of this situation. Melancholy news item. Uh, I always hate these news items, but, uh, Unfortunately, in the state of Florida, we lost another uh, great high school football player. Uh, somebody I'm sure, Coach Damaris, I'm sure you're very, very familiar with, uh, Jamar Taylor, who went to Lakeland High School. He was part of yep. three uh, Lakeland High School teams, went and played. I know you coached against him when he was at USF. Yep. Um, he uh, passed away, unfortunately. He was hospitalized, mm. passed away, leaves behind a wife and a son. You know, the more you're in it, the longer you're in it, the more kids you come across, there's going to be some unfortunate incidents that happen. This is one of them. And um, like you said, may he rest in peace. Uh, but you're right. I remember him going to Alabama and transferring back to USF and then playing against them. Uh, but uh, again, another, another sad situation, but another Polk County kid. And we're going to end it out with something a little bit more upbeat. 
How about some basketball? I know Coach Damaris was a monster on the hoops back in his day. He was a big, tall guy, but he could post up guys. But you had a good jumper, didn't you? Man, I was a basketball player way before football. Football just happened to come into, into my realm. But let me tell you a quick story about a guy named Pat Kennedy, who was the head basketball coach at Florida State. I grew up with Pat. Pat grew up in Keyport, New Jersey, where I'm from. And that's what made me initially, besides Coach Bowden, made me initially start following Florida State. And before Pat Kennedy took the job at Florida State, he said, I need to meet with Coach Bowden because he's like the number one guy here at this university in the state and all over. And if I'm going to have success in recruiting basketball players to Florida State, I'm going to do that through Coach Bowden. And he did. And you'd be surprised how many players Coach Bowden had on his team that could play basketball for Pat Kennedy. Deion Sanders being one of them, uh, Charlie Ward being another one. But there was numerous basketball. There'd be pickup games down in the gym where the football players would play the basketball players of Florida State and beat them. So uh, my history with basketball at Florida State goes back a long way. I know Pat's family. They run numerous camps and sports camps, et cetera, for basketball up here in the Northeast, all over the country. But, um, you know, I'm glad to see uh, Florida State basketball back in the top because I think Pat went to the Elite Eight as far as he went. Could have been to the Final Four. I think he swept Carolina a couple times. Uh, but never made it to the Final Four. But it's glad to see the Florida State basketball is back on top. Yeah, they made it to the Elite Eight in uh, 93 and lost to Kentucky there. Yes. Who you got taking it off, Fish? Well, I mean, it's I, I'm going to go off cuff here, and I'm going to say Illinois. I've watched them a couple times. I know Gonzaga is the pick, and that's the easy way out. They'll probably win it all. But when you have guard play and you've got good point guard play and you can play defense, I like teams like that. They they, they last a lot longer in the tournament. So Illinois is my team to cut down the nets. I'm surprised you didn't say Iona. I figured you'd be going uh, to Tino to say Iona. The Gales are going to make it all the way. Iona. I think Michigan's going to take it all. I think they'll. I think Florida State will get to the Sweet 16. They'll play each other. I think Michigan will beat the Seminoles in overtime. 